All right, Bitcoin accumulation country. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast sponsored by CryptoCloaks 3D Printing. And we are in season three. This is episode 44. I hope everybody's having a great week. Uh, sat down and had a super chill conversation with fellow Bitcoiner, Randy McMillan. Before we get into that conversation, though, we're going to do a quick stop through dollar cost averaging land. All right. And then we'll hit on to the interview. For anybody who is interested in dollar cost averaging and who wants to be purchasing Bitcoin but doesn't want to be spending their time constantly watching the charts and listening to traders that they really have no idea whether these people are credible or not, and you kind of just want to put this in kind of in a passive sleep mode where you're simply just accumulating and hodling, being able to transfer that Bitcoin out to your own private address. So if you're interested in doing that and that falls... In, in your wheelhouse, then you are looking for Swan Bitcoin. With Swan Bitcoin, the three main takeaways are we've, we can do automatic withdrawal from a bank account, automatic purchases of BTC. You can time them based on your uh, when you receive your check. You know, you can do it, uh, you know, let's say once um, you can do it once a month um, or you can do it per pay period as well. Um, there's lots of options for you to be able to customize how you purchase. And you could automatically withdraw to your uh, your chosen address. So if you're interested in a Bitcoin-only platform um, that is doing the uh, the great work of helping onboard people, then you definitely want to check out Swan Bitcoin. I'm going to have the, uh, the link to their website in the show notes. All right. Here is my chat with fellow Bitcoiner, Randy McMillan. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me on the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I have with me fellow Bitcoiner, Bitcoin enemy, and all around, you know, Bitcoin pleb, uh, Randy McMillan. And Randy and I met, I would say, back on Ansel Lindner's channel uh, in his Discord, right, for Bitcoin and markets. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's where we first met. And Correct. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we hit it off uh, pretty well since then. And uh you know, Randy's got some pretty, you know, some pretty interesting ideas uh, about Bitcoin. And specifically, we're going to talk about Bitcoin with a loose framing of the the seven deadly sins. And Randy, thank you very much for joining me on my podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, that's right. Huh? It's I, I don't know. I find if I do these podcasts late at night, I'm, I'm completely useless for conversation. So <laughs> it's it, it's uh, it's better in the morning. But before before we get started um, with the, uh, you know, our uh, our main topics, we are going to kick it off with the the rabbit hole story. So, Randy, why, uh, you know, where were you before Bitcoin and why Bitcoin? Where was I before Bitcoin? Um, well, I've always I've been doing like website development and stuff like that for a long time. And I actually was playing upright acoustic bass and a uh, like a college rock band and this kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I have a I have plenty of crazy stories prior to that. I was in the military and, you know, so I have all kinds of different things that I've done. So, <laughs> well, we appreciate your service. Thank you very much. And um, what uh, what what did you? Uh, I guess let's start with uh, let's start with actually the uh, the military, if you don't mind. What, uh, what what was your background there? What did you do? I was in the uh, Navy in the uh, '90s. I was a operations specialist, um, 
which primarily dealt with uh, communication, cryptography, you know, radar, navigation, that kind of stuff. So it was a great job. I, uh, I, I'm glad that I was able to have those experiences. So, so that that's actually really interesting because in the '90s, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember where I was back then. Uh, I was uh, most likely so you know I was in my teens, and computers back then consisted of like you know Oregon, you know uh, what's it called, the Oregon's Trail. Um, so let me ask you this, like, uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of cryptography and stuff like that, like, what were you guys, are you at liberty at all to discuss, like, you know, the, uh, I guess the, like, what you were actually doing? Was it like, were, were you decrypting communications? Were you creating, you know, ciphers or what was it? Um, well, the, the thing with, uh, basically, uh, communication is, uh, you know, ships have to authenticate on a every 24 hours. And so when you when you're communicating with a battle group, um, you have encryption codes that authenticate you to the surrounding uh, ships, whether they're US ships or just NATO ships. And so those are like new day call signs and you have different kind of encryption to communicate uh because you have to realize there is like multi-band encrypted like radio communication but some of the stuff can be broadcast you know open air and stuff and so there's different levels of communication and encryption depending on you know what the situation is oh okay very interesting you're probably the first person i've spoken to with this uh, with the background so I'm, I'm definitely uh definitely curious um so so let me ask you this i guess what uh, what was it that attracted you to uh to bitcoin oh i you know <laughs> i well i was doing website stuff and uh, somebody I was kind of like working with and this kind of stuff, um, brought up getting paid in Bitcoin. And so that was maybe one of the first times that I had, you know, I mean, I've been in computers a long time, but that was really the first time somebody that I knew brought it up actually, you know, it's a, and so maybe that was one of the first times I had like interacted with somebody else that was into Bitcoin. And then, you know, uh, even say, you know, seven, eight years ago, maybe even, uh, you know, I was familiar with Max Kaiser and stuff. So he like brought that up a lot still. So, you know, it's been around, it's been in the, you know, the just being familiar with it for a long time. Okay. Interesting. So, all right. So just like, you know, all around, all around Bitcoiner and got into it. Um, so let's, uh, I guess let's dive into a little bit of the, uh, let's dive into some of these, these, what were we, we were talking about the, uh, the seven deadly sins, right? So, right. I mean, this is, this is kind of like, I just want to explain though. It's, it's really a thought experiment, right? You know, a lot yes. of, a lot of times, a lot of times people like, it's interesting, right? When they, when, when we talk about different topics, people tend to take, a, uh, a side, right? They, they, they tend to either agree or disagree with something rather than simply looking at an idea objectively and, and not necessarily placing 
you know, a, a, a dualistic framework on top of it. Like, why? it doesn't have to be that I agree or disagree with it. It just, it's an exploration. So that being said, um, te, you know what? Give me, I guess, like, give me your introduction into this because, you know, like I'm thinking of the seven deadly sins. I'm trying to think of, like, how they apply to Bitcoin. And, okay, everybody has their, their loose framework. Let, let's go with yours. Like, what, do you, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, the the first thing that kind of comes up is the idea of greed. It's like, you know, I like the meme where, you know, some people are talking about how Satoshi um, leveraged or hacked greed, you know, as part of the like game theory and, you know, this like self-fulfilling prophecy stuff. It's like, you know what, when people see the, especially like as of late, when they see this price go, it's a, uh, it triggers some like, you know, greed and FOMO and stuff. And it's, there's obviously there's a positive thing to it because people are attracted to it. And, you know, I, I really like the idea of, you know, like Saifedean is talking about, you know, our time is scarce. And so we need to be able to find a, uh, a medium in which we can store our hard earned, like, you know, work, time, energy, and store it into something that's equally scarce. So I really like that idea of storing our time and energy, which is scarce, into something that is scarce and so that it can't be diluted, you know, inflated away. That's a very important idea to me, man. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. And, and it's interesting, right? The way that he, I, I believe that um, he creatively found a way to essentially hijack greed um, in order to provide positive, um, essentially positive results rather than, neg I shouldn't say negative results, uh, because greed is not necessarily bad, but it's about a balance of greed. That That is, you know, at least to me anyways, that that's what perfection is. Perfection is balance. So if you could balance that greed within you, then, you know, you should be, I, I guess you should be somewhat of a functioning person that isn't overly greedy, right? Where it becomes destructive. So I, I think that, I think that Bitcoin allows a person, um, to be able to, you know, kind of like indulge in that, in that greed, but at the same time, maintain a balance of it. So it's interesting. Right. It, and I, I really believe, and I've experienced it myself, is being interested in Bitcoin has changed my relationship to money in general. It's like, you know, there's the meme of like lower your time preference and stuff. And that's, that's a cool talking point. But when you actually experience it and it's like, I'm like... I'm sick of spending money, man. It's like, I don't like, I like, I am just adverse to spending money anymore. It's like, I'm very, you know, prudent and frugal and this kind of stuff because I'm constantly thinking like I can either store this value or I can spend it on something that I need. And, you know, both are valid things, but to have like, that option to really store value is just a, it's a wonderful thing, man. So I, I think you bring up a, a good point there is that it, 
it incentivizes us it, it incentivizes us to make higher quality decisions about the things that we want. It makes us, I think, it, you know, if you're looking at Bitcoin the way that you and I do, it really makes you evaluate, number one, why you want something, right? And how much you're truly willing to spend for that experience or product or combination of the two, you know? So I, I totally agree. I mean, for me, it's like, it's the same type of thing. I, you know, I don't easily, I already, I, I wasn't a huge spender, but Bitcoin has made me, um, really examine even more, you know, like now I'm much more about really spending on the necessities and the necessities that I am spending on, I'm choosing to maybe spend on higher quality necessities because I value them that much more. But, but that's about it, you know, like I'm not going out and buying more toys, so to speak. Right. We can, we can kind of like put that under greed slash like gluttony and this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lust, and, maybe even lust. Right. You know, one thing, I, I mean, I've always been like that to a certain degree. You know, like I can use like, say, Red Wing shoes, right? Like I, I've always been like a big fan of like Red Wing shoes. And and like, I still have boots that are freaking 20 years old, man. And it's like, and so there's value, like, so I'm just kind of like, you know, drawing that parallel is I've always been kind of like that you know, looking for value as opposed to just like cheap and this kind of stuff, but that just translates and it, it are like Bitcoin complements something that I was already kind of like into. And I, and that's cool, you know, like, and so Bitcoin is just another thing that I find value in just like when I look down and I have boots that are 20 years old. Sure. It, yeah. I may have spent like two, 300 bucks on them, but like divide that by 20 years. It's it, like in reality, it's of extreme value. I, okay. So what you just said, I think is very important because a lot of people don't look at their purchases in terms of that. And that's something that I, I started to do pretty young as well. And I found that it really helped shape, um, how, and when I purchase things, because to your point, yes, you may have spent two or $300 on a pair of boots, but you did it 20 years ago. You're using them 300, let's say, you know, 365 days a year or whatever it is. Like you divide, when you actually figure out what you're paying on a daily basis for those boots, in comparison to buying a brand new $130 pair of shoes every couple, you know, every year or every couple of years, I... I mean, don't get me wrong, but like you could see it right there. You could see the math right there as to why, you know, um, consuming is so important for the economy, so to speak, because we, we base our economy on the rate at which we consume, which is kind of psychotic because like, think of what that makes a person. Like, what does that make a person? Really just consumer. <laughs> like, that's it. That's all we do. <laughs> Right. The, you know, th that kind of brings home the point of, you know, wealth isn't just a number. It, like wealth, there's, you know, accumulated capital and knowledge, but just obviously in our material, like possessions and property. And so I really like the idea of accumulating capital in different forms. Like I'm, you know, I like the idea of be having some kind of insatiable curiosity and accumulating knowledge and information. And that's why I like, you know, 
the conversations we have and at like Bitcoin enemies and, you know, other, uh, you know, different social media type stuff, because I'm always questioning my belief systems, my like value systems. It, like if those things are just static, then it's like, there's, it's kind of difficult to grow in any kind of different direction if you're not constantly questioning your value systems and stuff like that. So it all, it, you know, it all complements each other. Static thought is dead thought. Yes. I I really think so. It's like, if you can't, you know what I mean? If you can't shift, if you can't always be learning, uh, I, I feel like to your point, I mean, that, that knowledge almost becomes useless. You know, and I say, I kind of sum it up this way is I've like, it's it was several years ago, I really came to this conclusion that dogma itself is a very destructive force in the, you know, in humanity. It's like, we have to main, maintain, you know, flexible ways of thinking. That's the moment we get rigid. It's, you know, I kind of like equate it to, you, you know, there's that video of like the bridge and it's like going through some kind of like hurricane or earthquake or something. And it's like flexing. And it's like an amazing like image of seeing this like supposedly like rigid structure that's like completely flexing. And yeah, it's, it's getting some damage, but the overall structure is maintaining itself. And that's because the flexibility was built into it. If it was completely rigid, it would just crumble. And so I like that idea of flexibility and thought and, you know, constantly changing. And, you know, I'm not the same person that I was yesterday or a year ago or whatever, you know, and that comes with just maintaining some kind of flexible mind and thought. So, yeah, I, I I definitely, uh, that's a hundred percent agreed. You know, the, the the ability to, you know, stay flexible in thought is very important. Um, I I think that a lot of us, uh, a lot of us, at least, you know, that are older, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have found Bitcoin if we weren't flexible in our thinking. You know, we wouldn't, right. you know, we wouldn't have taken the time to go down the rabbit hole because we would have just written it off. And I, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Like, um, you know, we want, we want the base layer to, you know, to, to ossify, so to speak. Right. But true. But at the same time, we want to maintain our thoughts, our thoughts. We want to maintain flexibility in them. So it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like Bitcoin kind of forces us to examine both of these ideas in different ways. So it's kind of funny. Well, you know, the one thing that like we can kind of, I, I really, um, I try to like think about the words that I use. And in one respect, I really don't like the term crypto anarchy. And like, I've had some exchanges about this idea and to me, you know, if you use like, say the Webster's 1828 dictionary and look up the definition of anarchy, it's, it's not a very like conducive word to like order. It's really disorder and this kind of stuff. And so I know that like terms like crypto anarchy have kind of like changed and this kind of stuff, but, but to put it in a framework of if we're, if we're trying to attract people to Bitcoin, I don't think like anarchy is a great word to attract new people. And so like words like that, like hacker, 
crypto anarchy, like stuff like this is, I think we need to be more careful about the words we use because there are people looking at Bitcoin and I, you know, I would really hate for people to miss an opportunity because of some kind of strange terminology like crypto anarchy. It, it might turn people off, but, you know, before I get into trouble, like I understand the difference between, you know, using those kinds of terms, but I'm just kind of thinking from an outside perspective, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if that, you know, I mean, I think I, I want to add though, that, that, you know, we, you know, we should be clear. The reason why the language is, um, is important is because, um, you know, essentially like the, the, the definitions of words define how we see reality with those words. And you, you know, what I'm trying to say is, is that like, it's like, you know, it's the people well, who created me, you, those definitions created those narratives. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, right. It's l like another example is quote unquote, the dark web. It's like, yes. let's think about this stuff because you know, this is a battle. This is a war. And you know, like every other week, you know, it, like the like the media is talking about, oh, some Bitcoin hacker was selling drugs or something. And, it, and it's like, let's not give these people ammo. And so, you know, that's that's my point with that is, you know, they use the term dark web, but they never bring up the fact that we use encryption every day to communicate and do banking online and stuff like that is and so that's just a different form of encrypted communication over the internet and but it's you know termed dark web you know i just that's, i don't i just really dislike the way the language is going and how they frame bitcoin specifically in these terms when I believe it was the, what is it? The FEC put out a report recently and they determined that less than like 1% of Bitcoin transactions have anything to do with any kind of criminal behavior. But then, you know, maybe in the same show, they'll be talking about how some bank just got busted laundering, uh, you know, all this like cartel money, billions of dollars and they, they get fined, you know, they're they're laundering billions of dollars but they get fined in millions of dollars and so it's not even a dissentive for these banks to get in line or because it you know they're just looking at the bottom line and they're writing off that as some kind of cost of doing business with cartels and shit it's like it to me you know th th that stuff is very frustrating when the US dollar is the biggest black market currency on this earth, you know, I mean, I can even like get into back some of back to some of my Navy experiences. Like when we would go into different countries, we weren't allowed to take US currency with us. We would have to like exchange the currency because that US currency in some of these countries is is literally black market currency and you know we we could get into trouble if we were caught taking u.s currency into the uh in, into some of these countries because it goes directly to black market it's and so 
some of this stuff is frustrating you know it's very interesting i uh, i wasn't aware of that with the uh with, I, I wouldn't i guess I, I wouldn't have thought of it as being you know the uh kind of like the, the black market currency um but uh i want to i just want to uh, keep moving because we were on uh, we were on greed and and we got stuck on that for a bit um and, and if we move to uh if we move to sloth right like the you know kind of that that whole um uh, you know the meaning of sloth right it's kind of like you know not necessarily lazy but you know uninterested uninvolved and um i'm going to give my take on this so i think that i was becoming uninterested and uninvolved um before bitcoin and i think that one thing that bitcoin has you know has done for me is that it's kind of helped me find this renewed sense of involvement and excitement to you know to partake you know in the system and possibly you know change the system so i, I kind of had this feeling of helplessness before and i know that helplessness is not like sloth but helplessness may lead to that inaction what are your thoughts right you know a lot of people know something is wrong they just can't put their finger on it and and i really think that having you know back to the you know education thing and and explaining to people like you know part of the system isn't designed for you to be able to accumulate wealth easily and I like I always get enthused when I come across somebody that has a already there I call it schema they have an underlying schema and you know accumulated knowledge and depending on where they're at you can kind of assess where they're at and where their values and where their like knowledge level is and then that's the that's where you can bring up the conversation of bitcoin as after you've assessed where they're at you know like i was getting my haircut you know the other day and you know we're talking about different things and i'm talking to the like hairdresser person and you know, eventually, because you think about it this way, like hairdressers are independent contractors. And so they basically have to like run their own business as themselves. And so, you know, that's kind of like an unlikely place to bring up a Bitcoin conversation. But I found, you know, after I brought it up, she was asking the right questions. She kind of already leaned libertarian and had ideas she understood like this idea of printing money and this kind of stuff and i and so it turned into a whole bitcoin conversation <laughs> where it was unexpected and i thought that was awesome you know you never know where people are at but getting back to that broader point is they know something's wrong they just don't know that there is an option. And to me, that's that's the coolest thing about Bitcoin is it's simply an option. Like providing an option is a revolutionary act. You know, we, as Americans, we operate within this quasi like two-party system. And to me, it's it's the illusion of choice. It's where Bitcoin offers a, a real choice and a real option that is 
you know, one of the things that I like to talk about is how Bitcoin operates outside of um, global maritime law, which is the framework which like corporate law op is constructed and this kind of stuff. And guess what? There, you know, we, we, we can get into some of this, these attacks on like encryption and stuff, but they're really having a hard time nailing the, the language down. They're really having a hard time, you know, thinking about how they're going to shut this thing down. And that is an awesome thing. And, but part of that is as this thing grows bigger, I'm concerned about, you know, the, this idea of a cornered animal, man, it's w w as this thing matures, we're going to start seeing some, an escalation in, you know, coercion and possible either legal violence or physical violence, because these people are going to be cornered as this thing gets bigger. And, I'm just concerned about that escalation, you know, with all the cool things that are happening. I, you know, I really do try to take some time to think about the escalation of, you know, this other stuff. Like we mentioned, you know, the attack on encryption and they're trying to establish like frameworks for backdooring encryption and stuff. That's a direct attack on the option to communicate securely you, that so i'm concerned about this kind of stuff and mm. i think anybody that's already in the framework of bitcoin is concerned but the average person really needs to be more concerned about their you know i like the definition of privacy is the power to selectively reveal yourself to the world around you it's there we are allowed to exert that power and that gets into the whole idea of you know presumption of innocence and we're we're being attacked in our communication methods but we're also they're really pushing this window of presumption of guilt you know i like we had talked about the whole youtube um, dash DL thing with that, that library being able to download, uh, online videos and stuff. And there's been some discussion that the whole thing is kind of BS because their, their point is they're presuming that this piece of software is going to be used in some kind of illegal way. And we like, that's the, the intent it like i don't know we can look up look it up or maybe have another conversation about it but when software became speech in the language itself there they kind of alluded to the fact that there is an intent because you realize that there's a lot of hacking software uh, even on github that is published for educational purposes and that's how they get around publishing um different kind of like uh cyber security frameworks for testing and all this stuff is because it is educational we need to ha be able to see these methods so that 
professionals can be informed on different types of hacking and this kind of stuff. And like I said, it's about intent of use. You can use YouTube-DL for all kinds of legitimate reasons. And so go ahead and presumption of innocence as opposed to presumption of guilt, you know, the power to selectively reveal our information to the world and ourselves to the world. These are important fundamental ideas. So, Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, they are being infringed upon on a daily basis and it's getting worse and worse. Right. And, and of course people are, you know, the average person is being lulled to sleep, you know, and it's, it's done intentionally, right? Um, because let's face it, the, you know, the more, the more a person is confused and tired, um, and just trying to, you know, get to the next paycheck, the less they're going to be involved with the ideas and the concepts that really matter to personal freedom. So, I, I think, you know, it, so I, it, here's I think, another Oh, sorry. Well, here's another idea is with this whole PayPal thing. In one respect, it's cool because it gives Bitcoin some headlines and it brings new attention and all this stuff to Bitcoin. But I've also been kind of like talking about how it's a, you know, a, a social engineering attack because you know, there's obviously a huge user base for PayPal and this kind of thing. And, you know, one day their app updates and now they says option to purchase Bitcoin. And, you know, that's cool in one respect, but, you know, and there's been plenty said already about how that's obviously not real Bitcoin. It's just a speculation device. It's a, but it's not self-custody and this kind of stuff. But one thing I was thinking about is, you know, that's going to be somebody's first introduction to Bitcoin. And guess what? They're not going to look any further. And that's a, and so that's why I believe that there's, it's the double-edged sword. It introduces new people to it, but it's a very skewed and not the big picture and a lot of people will never even understand that they can actually physically like custody their own Bitcoin that is completely outside of the established system. And they'll never look any further into it. And that's not, that's not really a good, you know, so it's a social attack. People, people have been taught that their time isn't worth that much. So it's not even like, it's not even really much of a desire to store your time value into the future. So that, that's, that, that, that's another hurdle that we have with, you know, with Bitcoin that people are slowly learning. But um, moving on from, from sloth and inactivity, right? The, uh, right. the next one is uh, we can look at envy. Okay. And I think that, mm. en I think that envy kind of plays an interesting role in Bitcoin because um, as we've seen, right? How many times do people sit there and say, oh, well, Bitcoiners were lucky. Oh, well, you know, you were there first. So, of course, you got, you know, you got lucky, you got rich. And I think that people don't really understand, um, you know, although it seems simple to just buy Bitcoin and hold it, it's not. 
Um, it really is right. not, and and I don't think that the envy is is meritous. You know, like I don't uh, merited. Yeah. What are your uh, what, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, I was chatting with somebody the like a couple nights ago, and you know, he was talking about you know where he was at in his you know accumulated like bitcoin value and this kind of stuff and you know part of one and you know i'm i'm envious of young people that are actually getting in because you know they have something they have more time than i have technically i mean anybody could walk out their front door and you know get run over by a car but i mean just saying generally speaking so it's so I'm envious of young people that are interested in self custodying because those people are going to that I just don't even think they understand what they're actually doing. I mean, it's maybe it's not the best analogy, but I I compare it to buying into the backbone of the internet. It's that's a big deal. It's, it's not just buying, you know, some, a couple dollars of Bitcoin on a app or something. It's you're, we still have the ability to buy into the backbone of a new internet, a new network. And that's, you know, that's a big deal because I mean, I call it like plank ownership. It's, it, it that's a that's different than just you know how like companies they they'll sell their like plank owner like stocks like if you were a plank owner in apple like that that one stock is worth like a tremendous amount of money today and i really compare it to owning bitcoin as you are we still have the ability to own plank owner stock in something that is going to be a tremendous value in the future and even if somebody i like i think it's i i think it's awesome if somebody can buy 10 or a hundred dollars of bitcoin and if they store that correctly their children are going to be tremendously wealthy and so I, you know, I think that's part of the thing is adjusting, getting back to adjusting your time horizon or, and thinking, I really think a hundred thousand sats is going to be a big deal in like 10 or 20 years. So, I mean, that's, I don't think you can get much more bullish than, you know, something that we kind of think is an insignificant amount of Bitcoin if if you're able to store that and hold on to it your children are going to be tremendously wealthy man like i i'm not even sure people under like have really thought about that is so that's my thoughts on you know some of that stuff is you know i'm in that boat of like you know let's let's increase our horizons and think about the next generation that we're going to be giving this stuff to and it's not even about quote unquote my wealth or something it's about the next generation and being it they're going to be set up as far as i'm concerned if you can hold on to it yeah you yeah. know back to the point is let's 
I really like the idea of getting out of a pinch that, you know, let's avoid any kind of situation where we're forced to sell to get out of some kind of like pinch or financial something or other. It's like, that's the key. You know, I mean, I don't want to bring up any names, but it's like we've found out that uh, some Bitcoin personalities had to sell during the bear market, man. That Like, that's the worst time, you know, to sell. That, oh, of course. That should be the... And so I really would like to avoid any kind of situation like that. <laughs> so... So I think part of that, right, is is understanding understanding ourselves, right? Knowing ourselves and knowing what we are capable of handling and what we aren't. And this goes back to what you're saying, because recently I spoke to a um, you know a friend of mine, a coworker, and you know they had bought a uh, you know a you know, small, I guess you know what uh, for them was a decent amount of Bitcoin, you know, but uh, it's all relative to each person, and uh, they sold it. They, they sold it after holding it for not even eight months. Uh, they, they sold it for, uh, to, to buy some, uh, you know, some like electronic gadget. So it, it just goes to show like it's, you know, I, I think that part of the, the reason why I'm going full circle on this is because that to me, these people are the ones that end up being envious of the people that truly get the benefit of holding and accumulating Bitcoin because they end up, you know, in their ignorance, they went and got rid of it for something that is obsolete before it even goes out the door. I think people need to understand this about technology. They're, they're, you know, and this is, this is what definitely kind of one of the things that leads to envy is that you go and you, you trade your Bitcoin away for some, you know, for some technology that is already obsolete. Like people need to understand that when you're buying something off the shelf, it's already obsolete. It's, uh, it, the, the death of it is already being coded in the next version. So, so it's like, hey, that's it. You know, I say try and find a side hustle, a side gig that you can earn Bitcoin now because yeah. getting back to the whole like store of wealth and time, you know, I'm grateful that uh, I was, I mean, I'm currently don't have a this type of gig, but I was editing podcasts for people and stuff like that. And I was getting paid in Bitcoin and stuff. And so all through like 2018 and 2019, I was able to earn Bitcoin, man. And I am so grateful for that opportunity because I didn't really have to shell out for it. It's like, and so that's what I would like emphasize for people find a side gig. And and here's the, you know, the back to like the circular economy stuff. It's like, nobody wants to be the next Bitcoin pizza guy, but it's like, how do we bootstrap the new economy without people like willing to shell, shell out a couple hundred thousand sats for one of these like magazines or something. It's like, we, you know, we like, I'm not saying like, you know, spend a lot, but we really need to bootstrap that economy, man. And so there's that dilemma of how do we support people that are working and producing things that are Bitcoin related and adding value to the space without, you see, you see that dilemma there? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. 
But I, I think that that's part of it, right? Like some people are going to spend their Bitcoin, maybe not all of it. Like personally, I, I love to support uh, the ecosystem. Uh, I, I like to, you know, like I, uh, you know, I bought a six month subscription to uh, Citadel 21. Um, you know, I, I purchase, uh, I, I purchased 3d printed, uh, you know, 3d printed stuff from, uh, you know, from crypto cloaks. And I'm not just saying that because he's my sponsor. I, I was buying stuff from him before he was sponsoring me. So I, I do for the stuff that I like that I value where I want to convey that value to the, the person I'm buying it from, I'm happy to spend the Bitcoin, but I'm just for the sake of transparency, I want to explain every single sat I have ever spent, I have paid back. To myself so so the spending doesn't come without an equal and opposite reaction so you know right. it's like for for every you know like if i spent a half a million sats well guess what i had to buy back a half a million sats and if i didn't have enough to buy it back then i wouldn't spend it of course that's not always practical right uh because eventually right. because eventually we may not be able to afford the sats that we spend you know, like, <laughs> with price movement, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a, there's a, you know, a possibility that, you know, within a, a day or two, you overpaid or something. Yep. So there's, there's, yeah, that's an issue. But okay, so that can kind of get into a topic of, yes, like, I think it's awesome that our pe people are mixing and you know, smelting their Bitcoin and this privacy stuff. But at the same time, it's like we not not everybody's really interested in that. And like, I totally think that, you know, like there's something to be like one of the questions and concerns that I'm like, I yeah yeah in some long-term like situation like it might not be an issue but what if you send like mixed sats to somebody and it kind of triggers some kind of like issue like that's that's what like i'm concerned about that because not everybody is necessarily self-custodying you know and so i mean i've seen some stories about people receiving mixed bitcoin to their coinbase or something and like it triggers some kind of like issue and so i think in the mid medium like kind of term with this is there's an issue there and i don't necessarily want to get into that but i'm just kind of like verbalizing like there we're maybe the broader point is we are definitely entering like a new phase where these issues are going to get very serious and i i i'm concerned about people getting triggered like having some kind of flag triggered and they get like audited or blacklisted like i'm concerned about that stuff because it is an attack vector and so maybe my point is is maybe keep a balance of mixed bitcoin and like kyc and be so you can have the option of transacting with either for, with people. So. so that actually brings about a different problem and it brings about the issue of fungibility, right? Because now all of a sudden, you know, like the Bitcoins that are KYC, are they going to be valued at a greater value or lower value than something that's mixed? There shouldn't be, there, there shouldn't be any distinction. So I think you're absolutely right. This is a, 
you know, this is a slippery slope and it's, it's very dangerous. And I, I think that we are going to face, um, if we already haven't begun to face that attack vector. Well, I use the word provenance. You know, people, yeah. we, we know that um, certain entities are buying Bitcoin directly from miners because it's a provenance issue. They want to avoid all kinds of issues. And so provenance has value. They are paying a premium for direct Bitcoin from miners. And so it's already expressing itself in certain ways. And I'm concerned as this thing goes forward that people are going to not want to even deal with it. And they're going to want to know if they're receiving mixed coins or not because of some other, you know, issue that they might have as far as like, say they're using a Coinbase and they don't want to get flagged or something like, and like I said, in the long term, it, you know, it won't be when Bitcoin quote unquote wins, it won't be an issue, but there's going to be, there's going to be a window where these issues are going to have to be addressed. So I'm concerned about it. Yeah. And um, I, I think that our choke points are going to be the exchanges um, and may even include the on and off ramps, right? Because let's say you go out, um, you know, let's say you buy Bitcoin, you go out, you mix it, okay, in another wallet, and then you transfer it back to one of these off ramps, like a, a Gemini or a Cash App, and then try to convert it back into BTC, into USD for whatever reason it gets flagged as mixed coin. You know what I mean? So it's like, we, we are to your point, we are definitely going to see this reality, but I think what, the, what is going to happen as well is that we are going to have, uh, gatekeepers that are, are going to be kind of like anti, you know, where they, they don't care. Like your mixed coins will be welcome, you know, kind of thing. So, You're right. And one thing that I've seen a lot, a lot more people starting to do is they'll have like a cold card that is KYC and a cold card that is mixed. And so people are holding both in their like hardware solutions. And I think that that's a, a practical way to do it is you're going to hold both a KYC hardware wallet, like a cold card, and then you're going to have the you know, your Dropbox that after that's the destination after you run some stuff through some kind of mixer or whatever. And so I've seen that people doing that. And I think if you really insist on mixing, you want to keep a, you know, you want to keep two wall or hardware wallets. And so you can transact in either way and it's not a big deal. And I think it might be, you know, give somebody the option, you know, say you're transacting with somebody, somebody that actually has mixed coins. Like you can, you can offer them the choice. It's like, I, I can transact with you because that actually is just going to be adding another level of uh, privacy or whatever, because you know, they're going to mix it anyway. So if they receive mixed coins, they mix them again like the privacy factor is compounding in that way. So hmm. I think it, offering both is, will be a cool thing to do. So, you know, yeah. 
I don't know. I think that that, like you said, like we're, it's something we're going to have to go through, but I think that that brings about the idea, you know, the fungibility aspect. And I don't, I don't like that there's a difference, but at the same time, I, I do understand that, you know, we may end up seeing this at, at, at a point in time. So in the, yeah. in the, in the interim, yeah, when Bitcoin exactly. lends, it won't matter, but there's going to be a long interim window Yeah, and that's, so we need to live. We need, you know, we're we need to like be able to transact. And anyway, I don't want to get too hung up on it, but yeah, keep keep KYC and mixed in two different hardware wallets, and I think you're good to go. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's move here. We're gonna. Uh, I mean, we 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 kind of spent a lot of time on greed, sloth, and envy. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I think glutton kind of fits into greed. Um, that as we, as we said before, um, what about, uh, I mean, what do you think of the, uh, of the last three, like lust, wrath, and pride, you know, like, how do you yeah. think that, how do you think they, they kind of fit in? We're going to do like a bit of like a crunch session with these three, you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so pride, pride, you know, and that's one thing that I, you know, Bitcoin is a fair system, but it's absolutely unforgiving. You, you can really screw up some stuff if you, you know, lose your keys or do something and it's very unforgiving. And, and that's obviously, a, a, you know, a, an effect of immutability, et cetera. And the encrypt, you know, security aspect is if you lose your keys, you're done. There's, you might as well have buried a, pallet of gold in the middle of the desert and you will never find it kind of thing or a needle in the haystack or whatever and so i is new new people i don't think they understand the importance of like i say redundancy 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 is <laughs> you know you know pat you know put a password on your like keys and all that stuff but the main thing is if you lose them it, it's that is alien to like people because you know one of the examples is say you get your debit card swiped at the gas station or something you call up your bank they're they're crediting you and they're sending that case off to some kind of like you know investigation or law enforcement but you got your money back you know what i'm saying that's not the case with bitcoin if you lose your keys you're done and so back to this pride thing, like one of the things somebody on Twitter was posting a question and about something. And, you know, my comment was, we need sanity checks. You know, I use the example of in back to like the military thing is when we were handling like certain crypto and this kind of stuff, it was always two man integrity because you like the reality is, is if you lost that information somehow, you could go to prison. And so it, like there was always two man integrity because, you know, you wanted it because you don't at the same time, you want somebody there to witness you doing things correctly, where in Bitcoin, we don't necessarily have that luxury as like a single person self custody is 
we don't have that two-man integrity, somebody looking over our shoulder to make sure we don't screw something up. And so I, I think it's awesome that people are, you know, it, it can be embarrassing asking a question that is seemingly like, you know, trivial, but I think we need to be able to encourage people to ask any kind of question because first, like when I see that question, it reminds me of what I need to do. But at the same time, it could really like help somebody avoid some really bad mistake. And so that pride thing is we always should encourage people to ask questions, even if it seems stupid, because it reminds me of what I need to do. But at the same time, we can really help people avoid just, you know, some mistakes and they like I would really I really hate to hear when I hear people talk about how they lost Bitcoin and in some cases significant amounts of Bitcoin and that's a scary situation and so level our pride a little bit and you know I'm not afraid to ask a question and you know at the you know, cost of looking a little stupid because I need the sanity check. It's like, you know, cryptography and this kind of stuff is very abstract. It's not a natural thing for the human mind to deal with. And so we always need sanity checks and that kind of thing. So, but then the other thing with pride is, like I said, Bitcoin is very unforgiving. And so, we any of us can shoot ourselves in the foot if we do something wrong and so back up a redundancy uh that's an important idea that none of us are none of us can escape that it's just part of operating in the system and so yep no that's definitely a good point you know and the uh, the point on pride right it's it, you know we should be humble especially, you know, in the face of something um, that is so creative and complex. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. I'm going to take a stab though at Wrath, right? Um, because Ooh. because Wrath, I think, is uh, essentially, this is part of the future. Um, because if Bitcoin does what we believe it's going to do, and it's kind of like the, you know, the, the, the black mirror for the financial system, so, you know, when we, when everybody comes to the realization that the emperor wears no clothes, um, I, I think that we unfortunately may experience wrath, um, from the no coiners and, uh, even maybe pre coiners. And I think that that essentially is, um, that that's kind of my take on that is, is that we've only entered the, then they fight you stage. And yes. th this is like, th th these are just like the, the ground rumblings of then they fight you, you yes. know? So yeah, I think we're going to be hitting wrath sooner than later. Let me throw this out there. You know, one of the, I, I, some of the memes I really like, you know, like stay humble stack sats, excellent meme. I think that that one has a lot of value to it. Be your own bank though. You know, one of the points that I bring up is, guess what? Banks spend a lot of money on security. You know, if you walk into any bank, there's a there somebody has a gun 
they're either undercover as a security officer or they're in uniform but guess what there there is a show of security in the in in banking and the thing about be your own bank is guess what you have to like provide for your physical security so even if you, like on the surface somebody isn't necessarily like pro second amendment and this kind of stuff guess what if you're a bitcoiner you're gonna eventually see the value in being you know pro you know second amendment or the ability to provide for your own security by force because guess what the adversary is going to employ force in in legal physical and so i think that there's a lot to be said about quote unquote be your own bank is that's a huge responsibility and it's not just about self-custodying and storing some private keys it's about your physical security too so and there's a lot to that has been said you know you can look into like all the lop stuff about that is but I'm definitely in that camp about physical security as well. So I, I, I entirely agree. And I've become way more aware of physical security as I've gotten into Bitcoin. Um, but I do want to go back to the point that you made about the banks with the security guards. Um, one of the things about the banks, right, is that you see, in order to make this whole illusion that the money is worth something work, they, they need to make you think that they're protecting something very important. And, right. and and that's like, that's one of the keys. So don't get me wrong, you know, you're absolutely right. Of course, in, in a bank, right? There's people bringing in money and money is important to people. And yes, you know, like there are armed guards. But what people don't realize is, is the way that the buildings are structured, the amount of security, okay? The attention to that detail all comes from the illusion that it's, it has to be incredibly protected at all costs. Right. You know? I mean, I, I still love the meme audit the Fed, but let's let's go ahead and audit like Fort Knox, man. Let, let's exactly. go ahead and look at the physical gold because I know there's been pictures posted of sub, the supposed gold in Fort Knox and it doesn't look right. And then we, ha we hear all these stories about uh, all the what is it uh tungsten gold plated tungsten bars and all this stuff and then we can get into the whole like peter ship thing and somebody needs to give him a wellness check especially as we're like at 13 grand and all this stuff is like you know we one of my things with uh peter Schiff is as this thing goes on people are gonna hate him because his acolytes are really going to see the missed opportunity. You know, you can look at the long-term chart of, uh, what is it, XAU, BTC, and, you know, Bitcoin reached price parity with gold twice, I believe. And then it's been uphill from there. And I suspect a lot of people are going to see that price parity and they're going to see the missed opportunity and so that's part of the, you know, and then with the gold, physical gold, you know, I'm in that camp. It's impractical in the 21st century. Like this is the 21st century. We need 
something that you know is useful in the 21st century and you know here's my argument with gold is it's always going to have an industrial value absolutely think about it this way computers need gold to be built and so miners asic miners need gold to be built and so there is there is a common ground with bitcoiners and gold bugs in on the industrial level like the industrial value of gold is is going to persist into the future and so that's my like view on some of this stuff and is there's a there's a common ground that we can reach with quote unquote gold bugs because we need gold too for industrial purposes so yeah that's i I mean it's true we do need gold for industrial purposes um Although I, I think that, you know, let's be honest, the the price of gold is, you know, 90% premium, maybe 10% utility. Um, and and going back to, you know, to what you said, it, it absolutely is impractical going forward. You know, like, and, and you know, to all, to all the naysayers of, uh, of Bitcoin technology, um, if you asked people, you know, if before the cars, before cars were invented and all we had were horse and buggies, if you asked people what they wanted, they would have told you they wanted faster horses. That's it. That's all they would have told you. Right. They, they, they didn't, they wouldn't have told you that they wanted a car, you know? And then if we look through history, okay, um, nobody ever thought that the telephone would be practical. Okay. The telephone was not practical. The first phones, there was like very few of them. So, you know, why would anybody ever end up using that, you know, on a daily basis? The same exact thing happened with computers. Xerox, okay? Xerox let, you know, the, like, the industry walk out the door because at the time, their CEO looked at computers and said, no serious business will ever be done on a machine like this. You know, and that brings me... That brings us back to uh, that previous point is we are still able to purchase the backbone of the internet as a parallel. You know, there, there's been huge infrastructure invested by AT&T and there's several like backbone providers in the United States, but obviously globally there's backbone providers and this kind of stuff. And we imagine being able to buy the equivalent of AT&T in 1979 or something or whatever and i really i know it's not the best analogy and there's people that kind of like attack that analogy but from my frame of reference i see it very similar is we're able to buy at&t before they built the backbone of the internet and they're just trans you you know i uh, like i'm okay with you know my age and this kind of stuff and i'm grateful that I was able to see the internet emerge. And, you know, I, I was on the internet before it was public, you know, the people don't understand the military was like, there's, they were, it was all about the internet. It was just the, the private military internet. I mean, we could, we were able to, well, you can, remote control ships on the other side of the world. And this, and this kind of stuff was capable, 
was possible in the 90s is you know because of different type of scenarios is say you know the entire crew of a ship was killed through some kind of like chemical or biological attack that ship was able to be 100% automated and remote controlled and this was like i said this was the capabilities back in the 90s i mean i see my i could talk about stuff but see i don't under I, like there's i don't know what honestly i don't know what's classified and what isn't but it's like <laughs> that's the kind of thing no because see the, awesome. the problem the we'll see in a real way here's the thing is method can be classified and so that's the thing that a lot of people that have some kind of experience is you don't if you talk about a method you could literally you could be divulging classified information and so that's a very you know because th the reality is i haven't been in the military for a long time but i still don't know what methods are class classified does that make sense and so i i, I well, like to talk about it's that's a that's a real thing and so that's why a lot of people don't really get into it too much is because they don't know what methods are still classified and what aren't you know we could talk like the other thing is um you know i was looking at some stuff and you know just some talking points for maybe uh people to google and stuff but this centurion thing uh, that's a that's an interesting maybe a topic for another episode or something but there's all kinds of interesting technology out there so centurion is something to look into like that's the the software that the military uses for war gaming that's a cool like that's public you know that's but uh you know stuff like that is crazy like i said like you know we've talked before it's like i can get go i can get cosmic if i want to but i'm trying to kind of <laughs> limit my scope of discussion a little bit there so no man we had this has been awesome this has been an awesome rip seriously like we've we've kind of touched on all these different topics and uh randy i, I definitely i definitely want to have you on again and uh we'll talk about uh, we'll go on to some different topics you know awesome so awesome so look uh do you have any uh you know before we wrap up do you have any uh, any final thoughts for the listeners you know just I'm concerned about the level of hacking that's going to happen. It, like we're starting to see it more and more, but as that's the downside to like, you know, bullish price action is it attracts the hackers. It attracts the scammers. And, you know, to, I really, I mean, it's a like, it's, there's no kind of interest other than I just found it really useful. The whole, um, the whole cold card thing, man, I, I have a lot of, you know, their confidence in how they're approaching self custody. I really, the, the whole idea of not plugging in a device is, should be the baseline standard, you know, like I could, I could not sleep well at night if I knew I had to plug in a hardware wallet to function and so yeah i like you know the micro sd thing there's other kind of like arguments but 
I'm, I'm interested in getting a good night's sleep. And so I am concerned about security. I mean, like I could go into it, but I mean, I constantly wipe my computer. I like, you know, we, we had to use zoom for this thing and what it's actually going to do is it's going to trigger me to completely wipe my system because, you know, you can Google it for yourself with the uh, security concerns of zoom. And I wouldn't recommend, you know, the, we, we've talked about virtualization. And so, you know, you can use different uh, virtual machines if you need to conduct certain things and then you just destroy the image. Like there, there's all, we could talk about all kinds of stuff, but I'm just concerned about security, phishing, hacking. This kind of stuff is only going to get worse as we go, you know, as price action attracts, you know, the scams and hacking and stuff. So. Oh, a hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. So look, um, Thank you so much for, you know, for joining me on the pod. And uh, I look forward to, uh, you know, to having you on again. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. We'll, we'll chat in the uh, background and we'll, we'll put together some new, uh, you know, interesting topics and stuff. Cause I, I had fun doing that and thinking about the, you know, different stuff. And so cool. I'm always, I love current events, man. I like, I'm a news hound, man. So there's always going to be stuff to talk about. So I totally agree, man. Awesome. Thank you, you so have much. A good day. You too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Randy. His contact details will be in the show notes. And of course, if you want to reach me on Twitter or Telegram, I'm at Coin Icarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am Coin Icarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time. <laughs>